I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. And I'm excited to introduce today's guest to you. Her name is Kendra Miguez, and she is the director and founder of the Colorado Women's Center, which is a counseling center here in Colorado with multiple locations that serves to empower women. Kendra holds two master's degrees in psychology, one in educational psychology from the University of Colorado, Denver, and one from the Transpersonal Counseling Psychology Department at Naropa University. Kendra has specialized training in various modalities of therapy, including gestalt therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, client-centered therapy, motivational interviewing, mindfulness-based relapse prevention, transpersonal counseling, somatic therapy, Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences, yoga and meditation, as well as the Enneagram. Kendra is really an amazing woman. And as you listen today to the podcast, you will learn about how Kendra overcame a lot of her darkest moments and how the center that she runs today is really a lifelong dream that she's had around wanting to help and support as many women as possible on their journeys. Kendra is also a wife to an amazing man who is her greatest supporter, and she is the mother to two young boys and a stepmother of one. All of this keeps her very busy with laughter, adventure, and insurmountable love. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It is really rich. We touch on everything from postpartum depression to being a female entrepreneur to following dreams and having vision, as well as some of the broader themes going on in the U.S. and across the world in terms of the women's movement. So sit back, relax, or maybe get on your shoes if you're going for a walk and enjoy this conversation with Kendra Migas. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you so much for being with us today and for taking the time to talk to us about your work at the Colorado Women's Center. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Emma. Yeah, I'm so happy to have this conversation. And I always like to, you know, people have a sense of what the Colorado Women's Center is and your background and training. But before we go too much into my questions, I like to give listeners a sense of where you're calling in from today and a little snapshot into your world. Yeah, so I am calling in today from my center in Boulder, my location in Boulder. And we are slowly opening back up after COVID. We're doing, well, we've been doing teletherapy for, you know, since I believe it was March 13th when life as we know it changed for us. Um, And then we started doing teletherapy sessions. And then now this week, we really um, have worked hard on getting everything up to protocol for social distancing and being able to have some some in-person uh, therapy sessions, which it seems like many of our clients are really craving right now. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you guys are back up and running in person. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about you and how it is that you came to focus specifically on women's psychology? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the reason why I was so drawn to women um, in my private practice, I had originally, I, I was seeing men with 
criminogenic backgrounds in an agency in town. Um, and I was noticing through that that my connections with the women were really, really powerful and kind of where my, just my expertise, I felt like that was when I was my best self and the best therapist I could be was with these women. And so when I decided to go into private practice, I just decided to see women exclusively. And through that process and, you know, um, years of doing that and seeing hundreds of women, I started to notice that there was a collective insecurity amongst women. Um, a lot of self-doubt and second guessing and um, just worried about the opinion of others, worried about um, if they're a good mother, if they're a good professional, how can they juggle the two? Um, just a lot of insecurity and in, that I did not notice in the men that I've worked with or even my husband included. Um, and so it became a lot about trying to help them build self-esteem and build a connection to self. And that really was the basis of my private practice. And then that started to grow. And then I started to hire one therapist by another. And we, you know, came up with this whole mission of female empowerment. So we like to say that our, we have an, our centers are empowerment centers. Amazing. This theme that you were seeing in your private practice, and I can relate to this very much in my work with women around insecurity and not trusting oneself, what have you come to believe about why women suffer with that disproportionately to men? You know, I think it comes from just a history of suppression, um, women being second-class citizens um, and having um, their self-worth being based off of how they can serve or what they can look like. Um, I think over time that's, you know, it has made us question and particularly coming into the workforce, um, you know, in the last hundred years, can we do this? Is this where we belong? Are we as good as the men? It's very new territory for us. And so I see a lot of the second guessing coming from that, but also just in motherhood in general, which you would not expect because we've been doing that for so long. Um, but I think lots of feelings of um, guilt in, that I see in motherhood and just never being able to be good enough. So the expectations for women to be perfect are quite strong in our society. Yes, I agree for sure. Do you think things are changing? Like we were just talking about before we started the recording, it's really an incredible time for women. Mm -hmm. in America specifically. And I'm curious if over the course of your private practice and now running the Colorado Women's Center's locations, is it improving? Is the arc of what women deal with in the privacy of their own minds in the therapy session getting better given that things in the world are breaking through or is it the same? What's your sense of that? I definitely think Definitely think that it's getting better. And I do think that it's getting better in pockets. Um, I wouldn't say that it's better across the board, but I do see women um, starting to have a stronger voice. And a lot of that has to do, you know, as far as the mental health field, we have really changed that to where it's not so much um, pathologized and it's become a thing of, um, it's, it's a benefit. It's, it's cool if you have a therapist. It's no longer, well, there must be something wrong with you. So really breaking that stigma has been a huge piece to helping women um, get mental health services and being able to start feeling better about themselves to have a voice. I also think one of the things that we're seeing so much now is that we're seeing these really good men step up and support their women, which has not always been the case. Um, and so, you know, I, I love, I always want to make sure that we say, I mean, we're, we, we feel like we're feminists, but this is not anti-men, I mean, at all, because we are so pro-good men. And we're seeing so much of that, you know, the marches every year, just all of the men that were there that were also marching for equality. I think that's probably been the biggest shift that's happened over the years. Is more support from the male counterparts and exactly. men in general. Yeah. Exactly. When you say that you think it's getting better in pockets, can you say more about 
which pockets you see improving and where you see that there's still a lot more work to be done? Yeah, I think, you know, looking geographically, you know, I grew up um, in the South and when I go back to the South, I see women fall more into the roles that have been assigned to us since the beginning of time. Um, I see it a lot harder for them to break out of that and almost feel guilty about breaking out of those roles are um, trying to kind of settle into the unconsciousness a little bit more. Um, they just haven't had as much exposure, I, I don't think, for female empowerment. And, and I'm not, I, sh- I'm not I'm, I don't want to say that's everyone because it's not, but it does seem like it's spreading in pockets. I think the West Coast is huge. Um, obviously, you know, California and Oregon and Washington, um, Colorado, these are really big places where you're seeing this move. New York City, I, I've lived in Manhattan for years, and that's another place where it just, you feel it happening. Yes, I agree. And I know in my own experience, just simply hearing more female voices, seeing more in the public spheres around these issues, it just really starts to become more uh, more normalized, more a part of the average everyday conversation. It doesn't feel like it's just sort of a fringe feminist thing, but it's it's really like front and center in society. Exactly. Yes. So what do you feel like are the greatest obstacles that women face internally when it comes to feeling empowered? I think, you know, two things come to my mind when you ask that. Um, one, obviously, I think it's the self-critic. We, we are our biggest enemy, um, and that goes along with the insecurity that I was speaking of. But the amount of negative thoughts that we have and the stories that we tell ourselves can be so damaging. So I think, you know, getting over that, you know, I did an assignment once in a group um, that I was running with women and, and we, I had them all go and sit down throughout their day and write the thoughts that they were saying to themselves, um, actually write them down and make them something tangible. And then we all brought them in to the, into the next group and it was amazing how the same themes, I mean, it was the same themes. A lot of it had to do with body image. That was a huge one. Um, and just such a lack of worthiness. And so I think getting over, you know, with these externalized messages of who we are supposed to be, being able to get over that and create our own narrative is huge. I also think another big piece to it, which sets us back, is the way when we actually treat each other. You know, women can be really cruel to one another and, and isolate and, um, you know, that like social death, that's the worst thing for a woman to feel. And you see it early, early on the playgrounds of, you know, the little girls leaving someone out and, and isolating and... Um, we view each other as threats in many ways. And that has come from whether it's the threat of, you know, getting the man, getting, you know, but when another, what's so important for us collectively to rise is to support each individual woman who's rising um, and not seeing that as a threat and wanting to take that down, but actually supporting each other. And that is changing too. I think the more empowered we get and the more we start to love ourselves, the more we start to love each other. Um, So yeah, I think those are the two struggles, kind of the self-doubt. And then along with the self-doubt comes viewing each other's threats. Yeah. Thank you for naming those two pieces. And and, you know, the shadow side of female relationships, because I think, especially right now, sisterhood is very, quote unquote, in. Right. But right. it hasn't always been that way. And I think even, even now with it being more in, there's still issues that can arise for sure. Yes. I know you run teams because you have met many therapists um, who work at your Colorado Women's Centers. And I'm curious how you as a leader foster that positive female environment, like on every level from the therapists to the clients that you're serving to other people that may work in the organization? Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, first, I, I, I couldn't be where I am if it weren't for my therapist. I mean, they are the, we, we go through a really rigorous hiring procedure. And we, one of the biggest things for us is to find therapists who resonate so much with the feminist movement. Um, and we have just the most incredible women on our team. So I just want to name that, that I, they, they are such the lifeline of Colorado Women's Center. And what we do, you know, we have, we have women on our walls and we've named every therapy room after women that we really feel um, that we look up to and we admire. We did a vote for some of them. Um, so we have Oprah Winfrey and Rosa Parks. Um, we have Amelia Earhart on our walls. Um, we have... Michelle Obama is one of our therapy rooms. Um, just J.K. Rowling, I think, is another one. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres is one. Laverne Cox, who is transgender, is another one. So just women that we, you know, resonate with. And it's not because these women, the biggest theme amongst all of these women is that they came from adversity, that they had to face something really difficult and each one was, it is a different story, but they grew from adversity and they found their voice. And so that's kind of what we have all around our centers um, is reminders of what women are capable of. Oh, Frida is another one. I forgot Frida Kahlo. Um, and so that's the message that we are constantly in staff meetings talking about that we want to help our clients with is clients believing in themselves and finding that voice so they can be just as successful. We also have our rooms decorated really in bright colors. We have lots of pink and bold colors. And that has, you know, when I made that decision, it really came from wanting to represent the power of the female voice and that we don't have to be quiet. We can be loud. We can be angry. We can be who we are. We can be colorful. Um, so it's that's kind of some some of the ways that we really try and spread the message throughout our staff. I love that. And as it's funny because as you were naming all of those women, I was almost getting teary, mm-hmm. knowing some of their stories and yep how how powerful they all came to be. Right, and holding that as as the possibility that lives inside of every woman, no matter what she's lived through. Exactly. Yes, I mean the the bravery of Rosa Parks to say no, right, to the white man. I mean, when we think about that, and for her to stand up and say, "Actually, I am too tired. I'm too tired to stand up. I've been working all day. I've been walking all day. I need to sit." And she was put in prison for that. You know, she was arrested. And so the, actually the picture we have of her, it's one of my favorites because we have the mugshot of Rosa Parks, which I, I haven't been able to find. And, and when I, it's not a frequent picture that you see of her. Um, and she's holding up the, you know, her little number her, um, and she has a flower in her hair. And it's this whole juxtaposition between this is supposedly this criminal you know, and yet she's this innocent, beautiful, empowered woman who said no. So it's a good reminder of how times have changed. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. That has me curious about your story, Kendra, and where the inspiration first to become a therapist came from, but also to focus on women and then to go beyond you know, your private practice, which makes a huge impact, but you're making an even bigger impact now with how, how many centers you have. And so I'm curious if you can tell us where that came from in you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always say, I've said this before in in other interviews, so forgive me if it sounds redundant, but I don't ever want it to become redundant because it truly is the reason why I started the center And it's the whole quote of be the teacher that you never had. And that to me has always been something that's resonated. And, um, you know, I didn't have basically growing up, my father was not around very often. And so through that process, I 
did not develop a connection to self. I was very, I lived judge basing everything externally. I'm okay if everything else is okay. And never really having that inner knowing um, that, and, and that also happens with maturity. But I think I lived a little bit longer than the average age of developing that. And just really lost and struggling and making mistakes after mistakes and finding myself in just terrible situations and really, really um, dark times. And, you know, I, through that, I, I ended up discovering that I was pregnant. And I knew because of the situation and the circumstances that I was under that my choice was either have the baby or and and do it completely on my own or not have the baby. And I really debated with that for a while. Um, and then I eventually, you know, I had to get an ultrasound in the very early days. Um, and I saw the baby. And I knew from that moment, and this is my personal choice. This, it, it's very different for, for all women. Um, I knew for me in that moment that I needed to have that child to become who I wanted to be. And so um, I went through with it and ended up, you know, having this baby. And I was in Boulder at the time and didn't have a whole lot of, I had family support, but I didn't have financial support. So I ended up finding, doing, figuring out how to do it. And, you know, we were lucky that we were in an area that had really a lot of resources for women in my situation. We were able to get housing, um, food, health insurance. And as I, you know, when, when he became about eight months old, I knew that I had to figure something out because I had to raise him and give him a life of quality. And I didn't want him to suffer from the same types of um, lack of that attachment to self as I did. So I put myself through two psychology programs, one at CU and one at Naroba, two uh, master degrees, and as a single mother. And so by the time he was four and a half, almost five, I had just finished up my second master's degree. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was intense. It was really intense. Um, I couldn't have gotten through that without, you know, my, my girlfriends. I had just the best girlfriends around and I, they're still with me today. Um, you know, love and connection and the adversity and the, the hard times and the breastfeeding at three in the morning a sick baby while typing a paper with one hand, you know, knowing I wasn't going to get any sleep and had to do it all over the next day. And all of those moments built a brick of confidence in me. Um, so I, I like to say that I'm here, you know, by design, not default. I, I made a conscious decision to design my life in the way that I wanted. And it wasn't easy. Um, it was a, a climb. And um, I mean, I'm still climbing, you know, we all are, there's, there's no there, there. Um, but I made it through. And, um, you know, I met my husband and when I my last year at Naropa, and, you know, started my private practice. And that's when I just knew I never want to forget those times when I was alone and lost and broke, you know, with a baby. And the fear of, you know, every night, just terrified of how are we going to live and never wanting to forget that or to feel that. Like I, I want to remember that every single day, what that felt like. And I wanted to give the strength that I gained to other women that crossed my path. And so that became a huge, huge part of, you know, helping women build self-esteem and confidence and why I resonate so much with the women on our walls. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I, I'm sure the listeners are really touched as am I knowing about some of those darker spaces that you've lived through and that motivate your work at the Colorado Women's Center. Yeah. You mentioned friends being one of the critical things that got you through such an intense period of time. And I'm wondering 
what else helped you to live through such a demanding, rigorous period in your life? What were the other critical tools or resources or awakenings that you had that helped you? Um, one, I, I felt really blessed to be in a program like Naropa, where I was constantly learning about personal growth. That was really helpful. Um, and, you know, self-analyzing and self-diagnosing all of those. Totally. <laughs> I was definitely in a position to develop self-awareness. Um, and so that was huge. You know, connection um, to other women was huge. Yoga was a really big part. I, I you know, did yoga every single day through that process. Um, I was, you know, I, yoga saved my life in many ways. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think exercise, exercise is huge. Connection is huge. Being at Naropa was really big for me. And then just really the, the biggest thing was I had a vision. I really was in no place to have a vision of what my vision was. I mean, it would almost seemed like a joke for me to even think that I could be where I wanted to be, but I had a vision and I knew nothing was going to stop me until I got there. Um, so a vision is important, really being able to visualize yourself and where you want to be. And every day I knew I was working toward that. And the vision shifts, you know, I don't even think I could have possibly fathomed where I am today. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be in a better place and I was constantly working toward that vision. Thank you for naming that. That I feel like that's something that actually doesn't often get spoken about, but the healing nature of having something beyond the self to work toward. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, you can get stuck in the self too. You know, there can be too much self going on. Um, you know, to, there, it's, it's necessary at certain times of your life, but you also have to be able to have that balance between the internal and external view. Mm, I love that. And I think for people listening too, that, that I think sometimes in a survival state, which you were obviously in, I mean, I mean, that level of stress, being a single mother, putting yourself through degrees and everything that can come with a young baby, like that is so much stress. And sometimes we, we might think, oh, well, having a vision or higher aspiration, there, there isn't room for that, but then kind of flipping that on its head that, that that could actually help someone get through a dark time. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I, I sometimes call it manifesting, you know, being able to, and I, I think there's so much power in visualization and not being so attached to the actual the details of it, but really just knowing energetically where you want to go. Yeah. Huge. Mm -hmm. So you just described a number of the things that were really helpful for you personally. And I'm curious with the clients that you've worked with hundreds of women and also everyone you serve at the Colorado Women's Center, what are the core elements that you consistently see women needing in their lives in order to, to rise up to that higher level of empowerment, whatever their context is? Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the core issues that we see, and this is a little different from your question, but the, the core issues we see is anxiety, um, anxiety and depression and insecurity, and that all goes hand in hand. Um, and so it's a lot about being able to have them understand the inner voice and start listening to the inner voice in difficult times. Cause we, you know, a lot of times when we get in those moments of choice and we're not sure which choice to make, we will look outside of ourselves for the answers. And so helping women first start to go within and that, you know, it's, it's amazing how many women have not done that. I mean, when we come from a psychology background, we're so used to people doing that and hearing about it in our classes. And But it's amazing how many people leave the self. So really having them go in under, you know, develop a, a sense of inner knowing and finding, you know, and it's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. 
Some people need to say no more and some people need to say yes more. Um, you know, it really is different and just working with their individual problems. Um, and, you know, also, like I said, mentioning, I mean, exercise is a huge thing too. So really helping them see that moving the body is so important to move through the struggle. You know, it, it, it all starts in the body and, and the body gives us so much information. Yes. I, and I, I agree with you that that is such a critical, I love how you frame it, like helping women to locate the self and then make decisions from the self, but then also knowing how to take care of the self, which absolutely includes the physical care of the body. Yes. The self-care piece. Yeah. Do you see that changing for women? Like you had, you had mentioned the body image component coming up a lot at Colorado Women's Center. And I agree. I see that all the time, but I do feel like things are evolving. So I'm curious how you see women's physicality and self-care evolving with the women's movement. One of the things that I have seen that I have been so blown away by is women, you know, we have, I have seen more women even in the last year, who, you know, they call it motherless by choice. Women who are saying, I actually don't want to be a mother, and I'm okay with that decision. You know, society is telling me I need to be a mother, and I don't want to be, you know, and, and, and being confident in that choice. Um, I also see women who are past their childbearing years, who are developing a sense of worthiness that has nothing to do with their quote expiration date. You know, it's, it's like we have women are born into this and we know, okay, we have an expiration date. And once we hit the forties, late, you know, late forties, early fifties, we're done. And, you know, now, now what is our worth? If our worth isn't to procreate or to be a sex symbol, can I still be sexy and can I still be worthy? And I'm just the, the amount of women who are, so wise and who have are in that beautiful stage of life where they can they do have that sense of worthiness that is definitely what I'm seeing also um shift you know the the Jane Fondas and you know just I I I love those women um they we have so much to learn from them and, and we have a lot of them here as clients at the center and also as therapists. So that was a really big decision of mine. I I wanted to make sure that I had a staff of all ages um, just to, and, and it's that, yeah, it brings such a balance to what we do. I love hearing about that. Can you say more about the thinking with that decision? Because I'm like, oh, yes, that's... What's that? The thinking? The, the thinking with having a diverse age range of the staff. Yes, yes. Well, I everyone at every stage has something to teach and something to learn. You know, it, it, it's we, there's no stage where we, we're done learning. Um, and and the youth has something to teach the elders. And so I think when we can appreciate where everyone is, and we have this kind of view of what you know the lifeline looks like collectively. It's, it really works when you're um, building and creating, when you have all of that knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, and it feels like a very feminist, a way that you baked feminism or the feminine into your, the structure of Colorado Women's Center, where I think we need to be exposed to the different stages of womanhood in right. order to feel healthy as women. Yes, definitely. And that there are different challenges and also different gifts that come in each stage and to be able to like have that more in the air and in the water you swim in as opposed to, oh, I'm only with my peer group. And so this is my concept of what it means to be female instead of getting that generational perspective. Yes, absolutely. What was it like for you to decide to take the risk of starting a bigger organization? That's a great question. I think I, you know, just personally have always had 
I've always wanted to push myself and to jump into the scare. Well, I wouldn't say always, um, particularly once I developed that self-awareness that I was speaking of. Before that, I ran from any type of pain there was. Um, but once I really started to mature and, and started to have successes, right, and, and they started off very, very small, but the, the more success I had and the more exhilaration that I got from that accomplishment, the more I wanted to do it. And the scary stuff, you know, it's one of those, I have a quote on my refrigerator at home that says, leap and the net will appear. And I just love that because, you know, in my own life, I didn't have a net. And I, if I didn't leap, and if I didn't do those things with some level of trust and faith, um, then I wouldn't be where I am. Um, so I think that being able to take risk and knowing that it's, I just would rather live with taking risks and possibly failing than never trying at all. I, that's just who I am. Where does your faith come from for you personally? Um, you know, I, right when I said that word, I knew <laughs> that would probably be a question. And faith is so different for all of us. Um, you know, I think the faith that I have is when I feel um, when I feel connected to who I am, and when I'm doing the right things, and when I feel like I am loving. It's to me, faith and divinity comes from love. That's when I am feeling it completely and wholeheartedly is when I'm loving fully and being exactly who I am. Um, and so it's, you know, I don't, it, I, I find it in nature. I find it in yoga. I find it in a choir of, you know, I, I find it in many different ways, but, but um, it definitely is an internal feeling. Thank you for sharing that. It is so personal for everyone. And it I, very personal. <laughs> I appreciate getting to know that for you. And, and it seems to me like, like in everything you've shared that Colorado Women's Center is so much the extension of your love. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And also a creation that has come out of the confidence that you earned through adversity in order to take those risks to create something bigger than yourself that serves more. I love that when you, you know, I think <clears throat> you saying, you know, earned confidence is very different from just being a confident person. It's, you know, I, I read once that there's a difference between self-esteem and confidence and confidence is very much how you present yourself to the world. So you can, and, and we all have to do that sometimes. It's the fake it till you make it, right? I mean, that is for sure something I have relied on. You fake it until you make it and then you're like, okay, I got this. And then, you know, but confidence is how you're presenting yourself and then self-esteem is actually how you're feeling about yourself. And so earned confidence equals self-esteem. It, you know, that's, it is earned. Everything has to be earned There's, in life. I, I, I believe that it's in order for it to be fulfilling. I love that distinction. Mm -hmm. So speaking of fulfillment, mm -hmm. has the creation of Colorado Women's Center been fulfilling for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it has been. The most fulfilling thing I've done other than motherhood, um, it, I have learned so much about business and realized that I love business. Um, you know, it, it has a shadow side to it for sure, but um, I like the mixture of, you know, the business. I like the business side. I like the therapy side. I, I love learning. I love trying something new and I, I love growing. So it has been very fulfilling. That's awesome. Business has really become an important channel for women's empowerment, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Yes, particularly women entering into the workforce. Is that what you're talking about? Well, well, that, but it's almost like in this era that we're living in, it seems like women being entrepreneurs or head of organizations or like women really running the show and learning the business skills and money and controlling that flow of money has, is, it's kind of seems like a huge wave of this era of our feminism right now. Yes. There was a, um, and I, I'm not going to get the percentage right, so I'm not even going to try and go there, but there was an article written um, by uh, SBA, the SBA was talking about how women owned. One of the things that I struggled with in the beginning of this was getting loans. And a lot of it was because I had all this student loan debt, right? And that, you know, was the only way that I could have gotten my education is getting that debt. Yes. And I didn't realize how much that was going to hurt me when I was trying to open a business and expand and apply for these loans early on. And I was getting, you know, denied. And the it, it was mainly because I was a woman. And that, you know, the amount of money they give women it, entrepreneurs is so much less than what they give men. They believe in men more. And the irony is that women have become the fastest growing, you know, that they are the ones who are successful in growing these amazing businesses. So it's really ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for speaking to that because that is a whole, like as women get more confident to start their own things or they have these visions that pull them forward, funding is a huge issue. And mm-hmm. I know there are organizations, um, there's one actually called I Fund Women that's, you know, there are definitely people who are trying to address this issue, but it's massive yeah. if, if you don't have the resources to start something up. It is. And it's... Um you know, it can really dimmer your light, you know, and, and you start to, you can easily believe that, that message that society is giving you that, you know, I know my husband would have been able to qualify for sure, you know, and, and that, that was definitely eye-opening um, going into this. That was one of the first things that I actually, challenges that I faced. Um, and so much of it was that I was a woman. So, Yeah. Where is Colorado Women's Center at at this point in 2020? And tell us about your locations and the services you offer. Yeah, so we are, um, we are, we have a location in Longmont and we have a location in Boulder. Um, We also are opening two new locations, one in Broomfield and one in Denver. So those will be coming um, this year. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. We're very excited about, about going into uh, different areas. And is it only individual therapy that you offer or also groups? We offer individual therapy. We offer groups. We do couples counseling. So we do um, see men in those situations. We actually do quite a bit of couples counseling, particularly now through quarantine. (laughs) It's really amazing how many we've gotten for that. Um, So yeah, so couples counseling, individual counseling, and groups. Amazing. If people want to find you, seek out the services that Colorado Women's Center has to offer, what should they do? So you can find us, um, our website is www.coloradowomenscenter.com. And then you can also find us on Instagram at Colorado Women's Center. And I believe we have a Twitter handle too, but I don't know it offhand. So... (laughs) Nice. Oh, and we are on Facebook. We have a we we have a pretty big Facebook following. So, um, but it's all Colorado Women's Center. Great. Where do you see the field of women's psychology moving forward, and what do you feel is possible for women's mental health in general? I think you know. I I definitely see so much progress happening, and just really some of the things we were addressing earlier. I think when it comes to women's psychology, um, I think more, more and more women are becoming therapists. First of all, that's been amazing. Just seeing the growth of therapists that are coming out of this area in particular. Um, and it's becoming, I mean, women have always been therapists more, I, I should say more and more women are becoming 
coming into the mental health field like psychiatry. So I'm really enjoying seeing more female psychiatrists coming into, uh, into play. And I think just the awareness of really the basic thing is helping women define their sense of worthiness. And the more and more we can do that collectively, the more we will collectively rise. Um, so that's exciting. I find both of those things I totally agree with that we need more female psychiatrists and and having more psychologists and therapists who are female and who care about these issues matters a lot because yeah. you know the history of treatment is not a pretty one for women so mm-hmm. it's it's a really different time and it's exciting how many women are here in the field and and caring about these issues Yes. And I also liked what you said about women defining for themselves their sense of worth as opposed to that worth being defined from the outside. It's more the inside out. Yeah, definitely. And there's one another thing I was just thinking of too is there there have been a lot more awareness surrounding postpartum depression, which is so big and so many women suffer and we didn't have a name for it for a very long time and women were being judged um, for the, you know, for the feelings that they were having. And there's that I'm seeing shift too, that there's a lot more help for women in that area. Yeah. What do you think has made the difference in terms of that shift? I think really just naming it, right. I mean, giving there, there, there's a time and a place for labels and being able to name this is what's happening and have it become a little bit more of a global awareness um, is what has been so big. Postpartum depression is, can just be so detrimental to, to a woman and to the baby. Um, and so being able to have more awareness around that and, and having a label and having help provided. And there is, you know, the combination of the therapist working with the psychiatrist and in some cases coming up with a medication to help. Um, it, not every case, but in a lot of cases, it could just help people get over a hump that there's just becoming a lot more. Um, we're just talking about it more. Yeah. What's your, this is something of particular interest to me because I had a really, really hard postpartum, I would say for about nine or 10 months, that first stretch was really hard for me. And I have been very curious about the difference between postpartum depression and postpartum transformation or metamorphosis. Mm. Now that I've gone through it myself, because I used to work a lot with women in all different stages, but I'm curious your thoughts on like, it is such a rite of passage. It's such an initiation to become a mother. And how do we know the differences between like, if we need treatment for postpartum depression, or if we need spiritual, psychological space holding for transformation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Because the mother goes through a birth also right? You rebirth and become, like you said, that metamorphosis, you become just such a different person when you become a mother. But having that identity shift is not easy. It has a lot to do with letting go of an identity when we're single and, you know, and also balancing how are we sexual beings and a mother that can be really hard to wrap our minds around that, that paradox. The biggest thing with postpartum depression in this day and age and why we're seeing it more than we ever have before is because women are doing it alone. Women are not in villages anymore. We're, our, our neighbors are working now. So the, you know, the, the female friend you had next door is at work and you're home with this baby. We're not raising our children in a collective society. And, I, and you know, it's particularly in places like Colorado, it's a lot of nuclear families. A lot of people don't have that out, you know, the the outer network of the extended family and the support. So you're seeing it is, it it takes a village to raise a child and it's not a two person job. So even if you have the mother and the father, it can, it's, it's lonely. So that I think is, is, you know, one of the biggest things for women when they, if they are in that situation without family is to reach out to groups um, because there's a lot of evidence that shows that connection and, and, you know, rest and help 
will significantly improve the postpartum depression. And then there is that piece to where you are going to be sad. And that is natural. Even when we were in villages, we felt the sadness, whether it's letting go of the identity, this, you know, taking on this new responsibility, the body's changing. There's a lot of sadness around it that is probably there for a reason. Um, and when we ride that and go with it, we do end up on the other side and this trans, you know, have this, this transformation. Um, the way that I can tell the difference between whether someone just needs to go and ride the waves where it's just postpartum blues or if it's something that they need outside help with, oh, I'm sorry about that, is um, the time that it lasts. That's a big one. Um, and also just the level of depth of the darkness that they, that they can go through. Um, the thoughts that they go through, the just not being able to pull themselves out of it, waking up sad is a is a huge indicator um, when they, particularly months into it. Um, and if the sleep has returned back to normal and they're still feeling it, there's little signs where, you know, I mean, it can be debilitating. So when you see it like that, that's when it becomes, okay, there, there needs to be some outside help. Um, yeah, I see it most with people who don't have support. That's mm -hmm. external. Having any type of medication, it usually is for people who have no family support. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was recently reading a New York an article in the New York Times about um, the pruning that goes on in a woman's brain for two years after birth, wow. and literally how much the brain structure Changes. is yeah. changing. And I just am so, it's an area I want to be diving more into because of my own journey and also other women I've supported through that time where it's just this fascinating portal where yeah. so much changes and there's so much opportunity, but also often so much struggle and hardship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you, you meet your shadow in a way that you never have before when you become a mother. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, and another thing too, I think we, we say postpartum depression often, but so much too of what we see is postpartum anxiety and the level of anxiety that increases because of those brain structures, because of, you know, the reptilian part of the brain saying, oh my God, you can't survive if the baby doesn't survive. And, you know, you have to make sure this baby survives and the baby can't survive if you don't survive. And all of these, you know, the symbiotic thing where we are literally designed to keep this baby alive and then everything becomes a threat. And that's postpartum anxiety when literally everything becomes a threat to the survival of either yourself or the baby. Yes. And, that, and so uncomfortable and, and so real when one is in it. So real. Yeah. So real when one is in it. That is so true. Yeah. When I, did, you, did you have experiences that you would classify as postpartum anxiety or depression with your kids? Yes. With both of them, I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like when I, I did too. And when I look back, when I have memories of how I felt versus how I feel now, it's, it's almost like a bad dream, but it, yeah. but when I was in it, it was so real and it took over everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it, it lasted about eight or nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you, what were some of the ways that you got support or came out of it? Well, personally, you know, well, with my first, I didn't have a lot of support. And, that, and a lot of that depression, I'm, I'm sure, was situational, um, just based on my circumstances. So it probably, that lasted a little bit longer. Um, the second time around, I, it was definitely something that I just, I had already gone through, so I was. I had a little bit of experience to, and awareness to know. Okay, to, I just kept telling myself this isn't real. Um, but you know, the anxiety piece—that was that for me was definitely the, the the hardest thing. And I, you know, anxiety I think is still one of my biggest enemies. It's something that I still deal with, um, particularly around my children. So I'm not sure if it ever really leaves. It just becomes you can 
I start to not believe the voices. I start, you know, I have to not listen and let them take over. That's, you know. So it sounds like you got really good at, at knowing how to work with that inner part and right. kind of setting some boundaries with it, having some skills around it. Right. Yes. Telling myself it's not real. Um, you know, and, and even if I'm not believing it at the time, just being able to tell myself that and hear that was really helpful. And facing, facing the things that were scaring me. Yeah. The first time I left my baby with somebody else and realized that my baby survived, you know, it's, it's, it was the exposure therapy piece, which I was aware of. So really forcing myself to do the things that scared me. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's so wonderful, Kendra, to connect with you and to receive both your incredible professional expertise and to hear more about this amazing organization that you've created in our state. And I want to thank you for, for having the courage to take the risks and to follow your vision and dreams, because I know it's helping so many women in our community and in our state. Mm-hmm. And it's also really precious to get to hear some of you know, your own personal stories and experiences as a woman. Yeah, thank you, Emma. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm wondering if um, I have two more questions before we wrap up. One is, can you just tell us what's on the horizon for you kind of in your next, as a woman who's constantly evolving and challenging herself, like what's on the horizon that you're looking forward to or nervous and trepidation about? Yeah. I think the biggest thing now, just where I am in my, um, in, in my business and my career is starting to create more infrastructure within my business so I can start um, not doing everything and, you know, <laughs> really being able to detach a little bit so I can have the business, but also focus more on my family. Um, that's it. You know, it's a juggle having kids and, and running a business. And, and I never sometimes feel like I'm doing either one perfect. And so there's guilt on both sides. That's also the, you know, the female travesty that we can face. But I think um, being able to spend more time with my kids is something that is I'm really, really looking forward to once my business starts to sustain itself without me being a part of every little piece. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. And I... I just, from the business, women business owners that I talk to, this sounds very normal. And I'm excited for you to have things transition in that way where it's more delegated and you get to have more of that time and space with your family. Yes. The delegation part is a really big piece and, and having people you trust, right? To where you can, you can take that step. That's important too. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll look forward to hearing about how that's going. And yeah. I'm sure it might be a little while with opening two whole new centers. I'm sure that requires a lot from you. Yes, it does. But I have the vision. So it's <laughs> so inspiring. That's awesome. Okay. And then my final and favorite question is, which I try to end every interview with, is that if I were to hand you a microphone and you knew that every woman in the world had the opportunity to hear and receive your wisdom, what would you want them to hear? Um, wow. You know, I think um, there is the biggest piece to my journey that I have learned is accepting the presence of pain. Um, there's a quote from the Princess Bride that I, I really like that says, life is pain. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. And I love that. (laughs) Really true. Um, I think being able to accept pain and know that pain is fleeting and it's not all, you know, it it will change like every emotion. Um, Every emotion is fleeting. Um, But also the only way out is through. So facing adversity and pain when it comes is really how you are going to, you know, have that transformation. And, 
yeah, so so that and and just really allowing yourself to define you know your own path and not let society be the determining factor of you know where you want to go. You can actually determine that and create your own narrative. Thank you so much, Kendra. That's beautiful. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And please, if you are interested, check out Colorado Women's Center. I'll make sure to have all of the information in the show notes below this episode. And thanks for the incredible work that you're doing, Kendra. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.